We are in 1 Corinthians 12. We're going to start in Romans 12. So let me give you the background for that. Uh, 1 Corinthians 12, as we've journeyed through this, we've, we've titled this series, Called Out, Called Up. God's invitation to live and love at a higher level. So as we've journeyed through these first 11 chapters, um, we, we've seen what is, is being unveiled, that, that God, in his grace, has revealed to us the importance of living the new life. If I can condense it in any way and, and bring it around, it, in this new life, you know, you and I, when we were introduced to the gospel of Jesus Christ, when we experienced his forgiveness, it came through our own personal realization that we have sin that we need to be forgiven of. And in that realization, in that moment, however it unfolded with whatever details in your life they were, the core is the same. Realization of sin, the declaration of the way to deal with sin, the only way, the only way by which sin can be forgiven is through the perfect work of Jesus Christ. And so it come down to believing what God said about sin, agreeing with God, Believing that Jesus is the only way by which sin can be forgiven because he died for your sin, he rose from the dead, conquering death and hell, ascended into heaven, proving himself to be God. So he's the only one that can forgive your sin. We agree with God concerning our sin. We believe he's the only way we can be forgiven. We ask him forgiveness and, and, and for forgiveness. And, and something really radical, something phenomenal takes place. And we don't always get it because it's not sensory. It, it's not feeling-based. It's promise-based. And what happens is we're literally born again, born of the Spirit. And in this new life now, we're making new choices. We're living on this horizontal plane with worldly wisdom. There's principles and truths. But living here, we now are born again, born from above, we're still residing here, but we're born from above. So now infused and poured into us is this heavenly wisdom in the earthly realm where now we're learning to live and love at a higher level in a new way of living. And so we, this involves new choices, correct? Your new life requires new choices. New priorities are being set. New habits are being developed. A new way of thinking. And so as I mentioned, we're going to start in Romans 12 because I really want to use this. I believe it capsulizes what we're trying to understand over here in 1 Corinthians 12. Romans 12, chapter, or chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. Romans 12, verse 1, as you can see, is this word from the Lord. I beseech you, therefore, my brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, Holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. Now, just think about that. Here's what's being conveyed. It's like, you know, by the mercies of God, I beseech you. It literally means I really want you to get this. I really strongly encourage you to understand this. By the mercy of God, present your body as a living sacrifice. Well, why would, we, why would that be so important? When you and I, when we grow and we grasp and we understand in a deeper level what forgiveness is, what price was paid for the removal of our sin, for the payment of our sin, when we understand how much Jesus went through so we could be made new, that when we, when we get it, you don't have to meditate on good versus evil. You just have to realize, this is what he did for me. And a proper response, a, a healthy attitude would be an attitude of gratitude. Thank you, God. When someone does something phenomenal for you, I hope you at least say thanks. 
And, and when you understand it's really like fantastic, it's more than just a verbal thing. And it's not reciprocation so you can make payment. It's realization, and you go, man, God, thank you. It would just be normal to present our bodies to God as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to him. It's just a reasonable act of worship. Well, how do we do that? How do we present our bodies to him? We can't just say, here, I, I, you know, send a picture or a fax or an email or text him something, you know. If you want to text God, it's just hashtag 777. Just kidding. So if you're, if you're how, we, how do we do it? How do we present our bodies? Well, there's something that I think we want to understand. We present our bodies in a very practical way. By not being conformed to this world, we see in the next verse. And do not be conformed to this world, speaks of the pressures and, and all the opportunities, various persuasions that shape, like clay being shaped. Don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed. How? How is this transformation, how is it implemented? How is it carried through? Do not be transformed, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That you may be put to the test, that you may take hold of, that you may verify and confirm that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. That we're able to then just process and grasp, and you notice what it said, by the renewing of your mind, changing the way we think. The reality is, in the simple statement, where the mind wanders, the body will follow, right? So if you're driving down the freeway, and you have, because it's obvious that all these other dumb drivers are out there, and you're the smart one, because obviously they're not driving like you, so they're, an, they're, an impe they're impeding your progress, they're a hindrance to you. And so you're like, ah, I just need these people to get out of my way, because you know what, ah, I'm just, ah. Guess what? You know, when, we, when we're going along and, and we're seeing these things, like, wait, i got to rethink the way I think. I'm being shaped by this world. I believe that other people don't know what they're doing, but I know what I'm doing. And, you know, God says, listen, I want you to rethink. I want you to stop. And I, I want, even I'll say that for us today, let's rethink the way we think. Let's make sure we're realizing we're not who we used to be. Those influences and persuasions and pressures and habits and behavior, they're resident, but they shouldn't be dominant. We should recognize, okay, that's, that's, I'm working through that. But being born again, I don't want to be conformed, shaped by this world, but be transformed. See, the, the, the knowledge that we're going to retain, the knowledge we're going to receive even today, the knowledge is not just for assimilation, for, for mental retention. It's for the means to usher in spiritual transformation to be transformed, to be changed people. We shouldn't be the same way we used to be. We shouldn't be exactly the same way we were before we were born again. We're new people, and therefore that new life will be manifested. We don't try to be good so we can be new. We are new, so we'll be changed. It is because we're new. Let's pray. God, what an amazing thing to think through. You have forgiven us individually. You died for us, each one of us personally. You chose to do that. It really, as we see from your word, it's an expression of your love, a verification of a deep and divine love that's given to us. And so, God, I would pray today as we would walk through your word and dig in deeper, that you, God, would speak to our hearts and you would give us understanding and free us from any sedentary attitude or any apathy that could reside within us, any complacency that is 
kind of snuck in on us, God. Stir and awaken us to the knowledge of your love, to the awareness of your presence, to your calling, to know your purpose, and be aware of your will in the days that we live. In this day, teach us your word, we ask in your name, Jesus. Amen. No. 1 Corinthians 12, having addressed the reality of living the new life, as we've seen from chapter 1 through 11, and he addresses it, you know, as you know, because there was carnality in the Corinthian church. Carnality was verified because he said, listen, you guys are even breaking up into groups. I'm of Paul, or I follow Peter, or I follow this guy. And he's like, yes, that's carnal, meaning it's more of the things of this life, of the flesh, than it is of the spirit. Having 11 chapters, and now he's going to get into the detail on how to live an effective life, a purposeful life, what we would know to be a spirit-filled life. So let's read here in verse 1, 1 Corinthians 12. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I do not want you to be ignorant. You know that you were Gentiles carried away to these dumb idols, however you were led. Therefore I make known to you that no one speaking by the Spirit of God calls Jesus accursed, and no one can say that Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. Let's continue on as we can catch this portion we'll look at today. There are diversities of gifts, but the same Spirit. Verse 5, there are differences of ministries, but the same Lord. And there are diversities of activities, but it is the same God who works all in all. But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to each one for the profit of all. For to one is given the word of wisdom through the Spirit. To another, the word of knowledge through the same Spirit. And to another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing by the same Spirit. To another, working of miracles. To another, prophecy. To another, discerning of spirits. To another, different kinds of tongues. And to another, the interpretation of the tongues. But one and the same Spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually as he will. So as I like to do, let's go back. As we've caught the context, we've seen the emphasis Let's catch some details out of verse 1. I do not want you to be ignorant. Ignorance speaks of without knowledge. I don't want you to be uninformed. About what? The, the, it speaks of spirituals. If you look in your Bible, you may see the word gifts, and it might be in italics. It should be in italics. It was added for the clarification of the content. So instead of just saying now um, concerning spirituals, brethren, it's the gifts. We know that from what's to follow. So sometimes that is very helpful, but I just don't, I don't mention that your format in many of your Bibles, that's what the italics tells us. It was added by the translators for clarification. Sometimes it just causes confusion. This one is clarification. I don't want you to be ignorant without knowledge. There's three specific areas that's interesting because I believe it's Romans 11.25 where God says, I don't want you to be ignorant and he basically is speaking of God's design for Israel, God's call on Israel. That's a, that context in Romans 11, uh, speaking of um, the time of the Gentiles and how God is going to deal with Israel. So he doesn't want you, to be, you and me to be ignorant about Israel. Here we see he doesn't want us to be ignorant about spiritual gifts. And in, I believe it's 1 Thessalonians, I don't want you to be ignorant of the end days, of the last times. Which is very fascinating, isn't it? Because it's three areas that really there's a lot of 
uncertainty, a lot of functional ignorance in regards to God's design, direction, and calling. And so with what he's given us here, let's just work through with the, under the understanding to address spiritual gifts. Verse 2, you know that you were Gentiles carried away to these dumb idols, however you were left. It's not saying dumb in a derogatory sense. It's just speaking of life, they're idols. Because here's what's happened. They're, they're born again, and they're carnal. In other words, they, were, they have more years and more experience doing this, and God's called them to this new life. And so they're having to learn. He goes, you used to be you know, just carried away to these, these dumb idols. Now, how does that have application for you and me? Is there anything that would be a parallel practice in our society or our culture? You probably don't have a little statue, a figure of some form of creature sitting in front of you regularly where you bow before it like an idol, unless a TV is that square thing. But nonetheless, you you don't really have it kind of like what they had in their culture, agreed? But understand, an idol really is, is anything that takes you from God, anything that keeps you from pursuing God, anything that kind of pulls you away. And he's saying here, you guys... There was a point when you used to live this way, that that's all you knew, that's what you chose to do. But he's going to tell us that that, that's not how you continue. You know, chasing money, pursuing pleasure or position, just that picture, you understand, chasing the American dream means something lead, something's leading you, correct? I mean, it's not, it's not that deep, it's a simple concept. Something's leading you. See, a dumb idol by itself is merely an idea or an aspiration or a dream or a thought. It has no voice. That's why he speaks of it as dumb as mute. It can't communicate. It appeals, but it has no power. Well, then how come we're drawn to it? You give it the power by your choices. It's powerless until we pursue the concept, until we pursue the thought or the idea. Then it's, in a sense, empowered. Does that make sense? It has no voice, but it's our choices that give it the, the vitality, if you would. So, just consider what the Bible says about um, having wisdom and understanding and knowledge. So, I look at where I, my choices are. Let's think about prior to coming to this new life. And we're pursuing something, and we look, and we go, man, that's going to be it. And, and this idea now has power. We're going to invest in this idea. We're going to pursue it. So, it's like, yeah, but... but understanding tells me, okay, that's what I want. Knowledge says this is the way to get there. Wisdom says it's a dumb idea. Wisdom stops long enough to say, but when I get a hold of it, will it satisfy? Will I be satiated? Will I be like, ah, and wisdom says, nope. But guess what? Dumb idols are built from dumb ideas. Right? I mean, we pursue something that we know probably not going to be satisfied, but if I have more money, if I have more of this, if I have, take hold of that, if I experience this, if I, this is pleasing, we think it'll be satisfying, but we're like, it won't be. Now, most of us really actually have to take hold of it before we realize it's actually lifeless. It, it brings no satisfaction to us. It's not required, but I have to sadly admit that's usually what I end up doing. A dumb idea is where the idol type things are built. He says, you used to be that way, but you're not anymore. Know the new life. You want to know this new life because he says, as you see in verse 3, therefore I make it known to you 
that no one speaking by the Spirit of God calls Jesus accursed, and no one can say that Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. So he's really, I believe what he's conveying is this is the old you, know the new you. And it's not just you. It's actually God in working in and through you in the person of the Holy Spirit. So no one is going to say that you can't you know, say Jesus is um, a curse, anathema, and claim to be led by the Spirit. See, let me just say it this way because this is an essential foundation. This new life is not a, a cleaned up religious version of the old life. You didn't just get your act together. You didn't just decide to go to church because you couldn't afford the bar. You didn't, I mean, it, it, it's not just a conscious decision. This new life is literally that. It's the born-again life. It's, the, it's being born of the Spirit life. I love what we're told in John 3 because there's a man in Jesus' time who had had enough of religion. He, he had seen with wisdom where it takes you when you track down that road, which is the religion being uh, the, the, the system and structure of men with the pretension or the presentation that you can get close to God by this system. And so this man, he had tracked out with it. And he, it wasn't fulfilling. It wasn't satisfying. He's seen it's not going where it's supposed to go. And so he goes to Jesus. He went at night. You know him, Nicodemus. Nicodemus goes to Jesus because this religious thing, it's not, it's not it. He was loyal to his heritage, to his ancestry, to, to uh, the, the Old Testament, you could say. But he heard about Jesus, and he heard these reports, and he went to him to find out a few things. And he was convinced that Jesus would probably be able to tell him how this new life would be, because he says, good teacher. And as he engages with Jesus there in John chapter 3, Jesus says, you must be born again which is kind of throws Nick off a little bit. You know that, right? I mean, he's like, uh, he understood him. It, it wasn't like, you mean metaphorically? You mean like I need to start over, do things new in, in a new, fresh way? He understood. Nick knew totally what Jesus was saying because he said, mom won't go for that. I'm too big. You know, he, he was stuck at the physical realm. Is like, born again? What? Huh? You're saying that I have to start afresh and anew. And Jesus is telling this man who's trying to redo life. He was at a point, however you want to describe it, that he, he knew this, he, knew this, he needed something new. Not just to be happy, but there was a cry of his soul and his heart saying, man, there's just more to it than this. And so Jesus says, you must be born again. The life that he was seeking, this, this, this forgiven, this right, this just life, new life is the new life in the spirit. Notice in chapter 12, verse 3, that it's uh, this, this declaration, this life, life transformation that we see about, read about here in verse 3, you know, saying that Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. It's not the verbiage, you get it. It's not the oratory. It's, it's, it's not like you say, oh, I, I, uh, Jesus is Lord. You know, the demons believe, and they're smart enough to tremble. You know, it's not just the knowledge that Jesus is Lord. Saying, we, we understand scripturally, conveys your life statement. Your lifestyle states what you believe. And so here he's saying, you know, it's done through the work of the Holy Spirit. You can't curse Christ and surrender to Christ at the same time. The old life denies the lordship and even the deity of Jesus Christ. That's our old life. 
Matter of fact, false religions all deny the deity of Jesus Christ. They all take some, some form of it or another. Many of them recognize him in the current religious systems. They acknowledge him, but they move him from God to man. As even the LDS doctrine says, as man is, God once was, and as God is, man can be. That's not a promotion of humanity. It's a denial of deity. It's bringing Jesus down to be just a parallel spirit, spirit brother to Lucifer, and it's a false teaching. But it's how the religious systems always go. They bring Jesus down because they're denying him. And God, we see that the, the Holy Spirit is the one who says Jesus is Lord, teaching you and I. The, the carnal Christians there in Corinth are learning how to grow, how to do this new life. God, in the person of the Holy Spirit, leads you in the new life. It's so important. God in the person of the Holy Spirit, leads you in the new life. We're told in the Bible, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. So there's one God, and, and, and personified, or we understand, according to the Bible, three personages of this one God. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. is re- referred to as the Trinity, but a better description would be the triunity of God. So God in the person of the Holy Spirit leads this new life. Now, what did Jesus say concerning the Holy Spirit? I think that would be relevant, right? If we want to understand spirituals, if we want to understand what this is all about, wouldn't we consider what Jesus had to say? Well, let's do that today. Let's go to John chapter 14. In John chapter 14, verses 25 and verses 26, this is Jesus to his disciples functionally hours before his crucifixion, resurrection, and and then later ascension. So, you think about it from an interactive sense, it's the final words from the coach. It, it, he's really given them, listen, you guys got to understand this. And so what he says in verse 25, these things I have spoken to you while being present with you. Because what's going to happen? They don't know it. You and I know it. They don't know it because they're living on this side of the cross. You guys, we, we're living in this different point in history. He says, while I'm present with you, because we know dark days are coming. Some horrible observations are going to happen. They're going to see him brutally beaten. They're going to see him crucified and, and, and life departing from him and, and being placed inside a tomb. And while I'm present with you, I'm telling you these things. But the helper, verse 26, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all the things that I said to you. So here's concerning the Holy Spirit. He's saying, after I... Fulfill what I've came to do. After I rise from the dead, as I ascend into heaven, you'll have an experience with God in the person of the Holy Spirit that's different. They, they really did have a beautiful, unique thing that you and I really won't experience. They lived here, physically eating lunch with him, hanging out with him, and fishing with him. And they also lived here where he ascended, and they were indwelt and empowered by the Holy Spirit. This is where we live. And so he's saying to him, when, when the Holy Spirit, he will, he will come, the parakletos, it means the one alongside, the function is like, it's, it's me, but it's not me, is what Jesus is saying to him. He's going to indwell you. It's God going to be with you. He will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all the things I said to you. See, remember, when you can't remember, how to remember, because this is how you remember Remember? I mean, just 
Really, he's just saying, do you ever try to remember a verse? Oh, what was that verse? Like, you know, there's times you just think, well, I don't know. But I know you can, because you've been there where you're like, you're talking to someone, and then you share a verse, but you don't tell the address. You just, it just comes out. And you're like, oh, man. And then you're like, man, I got this going on. Just remember, you can't remember. He brings to your remembrance. It's a work of the Spirit that we take lightly sometimes. And actually, we take it egotistically. Because we take credit for something he did, thinking that we remembered, but we didn't remember because you, you can't find your keys. It's like, you know, there's other things you forget. The older you get, the more real it becomes. So it's like, man, this is amazing. He will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance the things I said to you. He's, the, the disciples walked with Jesus, and Jesus said, listen, you guys, you know, this person of the Godhead, the Holy Spirit, was going to bring to you remembrance of the things that have happened. And we even have, like, actually have that documented in Scripture. Let's look over also another continuation of this message in John 16 as he continues to exhort and encourage them. He comes back to this discussion and this, this presentation and this revealing about the person of God, the person of God in the, in the person of the Holy Spirit in John 16, verse 7. He says, I think this is so I just think God has a great sense of humor if we'll stop and look at it because it actually lightens the load for us. You know, levity, the proper godly humor, just takes the weight off. And he says to them in verse 7, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. Excuse me? How often did he lie to them? Never. It's almost like he has to say, No, listen, no, no, I'm not pulling your leg, dude. Seriously, I'm I'm serious. It's like, I wonder why he says, nevertheless, I tell you the truth. He never lies. I think it was just that reality of dialogue and engagement and interaction. Listen, guys, I'm straight up with you on this. It's to your advantage that I go away, for if I do not go away, the Helper, the Holy Spirit, will not come to you. But if I depart, I will send him to you. And when he has come, he will convict the world of sin and of righteousness, and of judgment, of sin because they do not believe in me, of righteousness because I go to my Father and you see me no more, of judgment because the ruler of this world is judged. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. However, when he, the Spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into all truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, But whatever he hears, he will speak. He will tell you things to come. He will glorify me, for he will take of what is mine and declare it to you. So we see a few things as Jesus is teaching you and me. Primarily, initially, he taught the apostles. But we know he preserved it for our learning as well. He teaches us about the work, the job description, how things are going to go with the person we know of the Godhead, the Holy Spirit. It's to your benefit that the fulfillment of, of the payment of sins takes place. He ascends. Then, you know, the Holy Spirit, who was, he said in the Gospel of John later, the Holy Spirit is with you and he will be in you. And, and we know later that actually does take place. In other words, there's the, the uh, presence of the Holy Spirit in the world prior to the uh, cross and the resurrection. And after the resurrection, for believers, there's the Holy Spirit in you and, and empowering you. 
um, either simultaneously at the point of new birth indwelling, and many times even an additional experience later in what's known as the baptism of the Holy Spirit or the overflowing work of the Spirit in your life. But notice a couple things about this person. Because verse 13 says, when he, the spirit of truth. The Holy Spirit is not just a, a power or some type of you know, essence moving through the world. It's literally a person. The Holy Spirit, he, is a person. Now, and I can show you many other places where you know, Ananias and Sapphira, they were accused or they were just declared that they lied to the Holy Spirit. You don't lie to a power, you lie to a person. And I don't need to get into the greater details. We just That's your homework, kind of dig into that part. But understand that the Holy Spirit does something. Verse 14, he will glorify Jesus and he will take up what is his and declare it to you. Take what is Jesus and declare it. So here's something to remember. Is it a work of the Spirit? Because somebody says it was a work of the Spirit. Well, you want to ask yourself, who was glorified through it? Oh, the Spirit was moving amongst the gathering, and these things were happening, and there was human animation, and there was varied expression. And then one person told me one time, man, there was so much, the Holy Spirit was doing so much, we didn't even have time for the Word. And their summary, their conclusion, their description of the gathering time was all about the Holy Spirit. Either their summary is in error or something because the Holy Spirit won't work in such a way that we walk away going, it was all about the Holy Spirit. Because what does this text tell you and me? He, the work of the Spirit will glorify Jesus Christ. will draw attention to him. will direct people to him more and more. Moving back to 1 Corinthians 12, because we do not want to be ignorant of these things. And we know there's much ignorance in this area. There's a lot of study. We'll be digging into it in detail as we go through the various um, gifts of the Spirit. But we do need His power. We do need that work. We know that the disciples had experienced Him being with them. They experienced... Him being the Holy Spirit within them. And I believe John 20, verse 22. But then they were also told, now I want you to wait. In Acts 1, verse 8. But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you shall be my witnesses in Judea, Samaria, and all the end of the earth. So let me just give you three things to be aware of and to think about in regards to the person of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit empowers you to live the life God has set out for you. The Holy Spirit empowers you to live the life God has set out for you. God didn't just say, hey, I want, this is what I want you to do. Good luck with that. He literally gives us the enabling, the empowering. We also know that the Holy Spirit, according to what we've looked at, guides you in all truth and brings to your attention the words of Jesus. He draws us into the word. He walks us through. Sometimes we just we fall into this kind of negative I just don't know the word. I don't know the Bible that well. I was talking to somebody. I couldn't remember the verse. Don't focus upon yourself. Learn to hear from the Lord. Learn to let the Lord listen or let the Lord walk you through certain things. And the third thing that the Holy Spirit, we want to be aware of, the Holy Spirit takes you out of your comfort zone so you can grow. I asked Anthony to remove that one after first service because that's just really uncomfortable. It's true, is it not? Takes you out of your comfort zone so you can grow. You actually totally understand this principle. Nobody denies this principle. Nobody says, you know, it's so funny. 
I just, I wanted to get stronger. And so I just started thinking about it. I watched a couple videos on weightlifting and, and I'm just stronger. No, dude, you had to get your sorry backside off the couch and sweat it up a little bit and it was uncomfortable. No one says academically, man, I just, just want to know this stuff. No, you had to stay up late. You nailed the caffeine. You got up looking bad the next day and you looked worse in the afternoon, but you, you passed the test because you put effort. It was uncomfortable to learn it, right? Academically, athletically, relationally, we, we get there's some discomfort. Discomfort is not a bad thing. It actually is an essential thing because it kind of breaks up our routine. And so the Holy Spirit takes you out of your comfort zone so you can grow. And some of the most uncomfortable times in my life have been the most beneficial. I don't want to repeat them unless necessary. But I, I, I do know that those times are when I really, you know, the fervency, the dependency, the confidence that God will do something. It, it really was in times when we started seeking him. I, I'm going to mention it here at the end again, but I'm going to have a series start. And it's really just, it's open to everyone, whoever wants to be a part of it. And it's called Deeper Still. And it's a type of discipleship where we just take it deeper still, where we can, you know, maybe you're at that season at that point in your life where you realize, I, I do want to take another step. I, I want to be more studious. I want to learn some of these things more. I want to be more prepared. I want to, I just want to grow spiritually. If you want to, then if you, can, you want to join in on that, just fill out a response or go onto our, our website and just, hey, interested in deeper still that Pastor Dan talked about. But I know there's a need in our church gathering. I know there's a need in our personal lives for this opportunity to functionally, in a healthy and profitable way, to be uncomfortable in a good way. So, 1 Corinthians 4, or chapter 12, verse 4 through 11. I'm not going to go through all the different gifts. I think you've seen the, simila- the, the commonality, um, these, the diversities of gifts and the differences of ministries and the diversities of activities. But notice verse 7. But the manifestation, or the, the visual you know, verification, the seeing of these things and, and knowing these things, of the Spirit is given to each one so that people will think you're more spiritual. Not quite what it says, does it? Oftentimes that's the presentation or the perception that somebody is more spiritual. But notice it's actually God gives these enablings and these, these tools, so to speak, for the benefit of everyone. It's not for the elevation or exaltation of the individual. It's for the profit of all. Um, spiritual gifts are tools to build with, if you want to kind of see it in a metaphorical sense. It's not competition. It's not for comparison. Tools, they're tools that are given to, to complement and, and cooperate with one another. Uh, let me give you some specifics on that type of example. A saw is a tool that complements a hammer and a brush. Agreed? A saw is a tool that complements a hammer and a brush. All three have unique purposes. They are not all interchangeable, but they are all beneficial. And this is a real simple picture. I think it's easy to, to grasp because verses 6 through 8 are not meant to be seen as a complete list, nor are the gifts listed here in order of importance. The emphasis is not upon the individual gift. The emphasis is on the gifts, on who the gifts come from and the purpose of those gifts for the profit of all. You'll notice that repeated each time, it was through the Spirit, by the same Spirit, by the same Spirit, according to the Spirit. So God is just helping us to realize 
It's God who has these and God who brings these. And if you notice there in verse 11, the one and same spirit works all these things, distributing as he wills. Oh, you mean I don't get to put in a bid for him? You mean I don't, you know, get to, you know, order it? You should desire the best gifts. We're going to see that as we continue in this study through this portion of 1 Corinthians. But I want to help help you realize, you know, I I want to have whatever God would have for me, but I want it to be for his glory. And that's our petition, our request, the cry of our heart. So, and along those lines, let me just say this gifting, because we're told to, in Romans 12, God has given to everyone a measure of faith. So he's given to all of us a gift of faith. He's given to all of us a a spiritual tool enabling to live in a way that glorifies him and his power to be present in this world. He, He has done that. We just are trying to figure out what it is, agreed? We're trying to sort out what's my gift, what's my calling. But understand, you can have a spiritual gift or gifting and still not have the fruit of the Spirit. You can use your gift without his help. It's not the best way to do it, but it happens. It happens a lot. Some, someone could teach from experience. Someone could speak a word out of habit. Someone could give or serve merely out of obligation. Because, you know, I used to serve out of obligation when, in the children's ministry because I showed up with kids. So it just made sense I should do my time. That was kind of the way I thought of it. Not like prison, but I mean, just, you know, kind of like just be a part of it, you know. And so it's like, okay, I was, I was obliged. It was just, I think that's just logical thinking. Well, the problem is it wasn't necessarily spiritually beneficial. It was when I realized, man, I, I want to actually be a part of this that God's doing, and I get to get in here and serve and do those things. So anyway, I just want to encourage you. If, you. if you know what your gifting is, if you're seeing and seeking God for this, this gifting, realize you also want it to be in love. You want the fruit of the Spirit to be present so that God can bless someone and, you know, you will also be blessed. You know, because if we're not progressing, we're regressing. There's no holding your own. There's just no in-between. And often those who regress either become critical of others, complaining, or they isolate and tolerate. That's what I call it. Isolate and tolerate. Um, Instead of humility, there's pride which will always stunt your growth spiritually. I've been through there where I've been prideful. I've had seasons where I just thought too much of me. And, and I, could, I could make myself a hero, but I didn't, I wasn't. I, it was just, there was no humility. And God took me down this journey to realize, man, I would rather not go there. I would rather learn to be a blessing and, and, and build people up because the natural tilt in human engagement the natural tilt is to be independent, where supernatural gifting teaches us we are interdependent. Do you see the difference? Independent. We, most of us as men, we just decide we're going to do it our way, and it's not a gender thing, ladies. Don't think you're special. Okay? Everybody can do it. So here it's like we just kind of want to do our own thing because we think that's better, but we realize it's not, and then we complain that nobody's helping. So anyway. We tend to be independent, but God's telling us, I want you to know you're interdependent. How can I verify? How can I confirm this truth to you? Later in 1 Corinthians, in chapter 12, he's going to say the body. And he uses the picture, the imagery, the, the knowable reality that we can grasp, this truth, that we're all part of the body. And the hand needs the head and the eyes, and it's all interdependent. God's design is for interdependence. 
individuality with mutual reliance. Godly unity and community. So wrapping this up. When God is stirring, because I believe that's what happens, what do we do? You know, I don't think it's just us deciding I need to get more spiritual. I believe it's actually his stirring that results in us concluding, I want to have more of him. Does God overpower us and get things done? I don't believe that to be true. I don't believe he does it in a way that would violate our will. Does God inhabit us and then make things happen in us and through us? Some people are afraid of the gifts of the Spirit because they think they're going to go all Pentecostal at Walmart or something beyond their control. And it's just not how God, the Spirit of the prophet is subject to the prophet, the Bible says. So you're not going to be overpowered. But what, you know, how do we do this? Understand this. God invites us to him. God indwells us in this new life. God equips us, instructs us, and empowers us. That's what God does. What is our part? Let's consider four things. What is our part? God is doing all these things. He's offering, bringing this to us. Our part is first to revere him. To revere him. Hold him high. You know, just realizing it's not about me. It's not about an individual. It's God is worthy of our praise. He's worthy to be exalted. He's worthy. Because see, when you learn to look up, you live here in this physical realm, but when you learn to look up, you, you learn to just not focus on all the things that weigh you down and wear you out. But when we learn to realize, God, I know you're doing a good work. I'm confident your word is true. I believe your promises. I don't feel real special, but nonetheless, I'm going to revere you. I'm going to focus. I'm going to glorify you. I'm going to exalt you. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to adore you. When we revere him, and then as we're doing that, we receive from him. And literally, I believe we need to learn to receive from him. Because he offers us these things. He brings these truths to us. He brings truths that transform into our hearts. But we have to be willing to receive it. And sometimes we can get, and I know we've all been there, we can get in the pity party mode, pity party mode right? Oh, I'm going to pray because I'm supposed to. I'm going to exalt you because I should. But we're not really like in a moment, we're more Eeyore than Tigger. You know, and it's like there's a point where like, whoa, 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 I'm going to find some middle ground here. Because in reality, I want to receive. Okay, Lord. <coughs> so maybe we have this conscious understanding. Okay, I'm going to revere you and Lord, I will receive from you. We also, then the next part would be to respond to him. You can revere someone, you can receive from someone. But like UPS dropping off a package, if you just leave the package sitting there, big deal. The guy in the brown shorts left. So what? You still just got a package. You got to open it up. You got to take hold of what you receive. And that means to respond to him. Because he'll prompt, he'll stir, he'll draw you to a closer walk with him. And in doing, he doesn't violate your will. He doesn't make you do something. He draws you in and invites you to respond to him. And the fourth thing I would say that's very important in this area of understanding the work of the Spirit, what God's doing, is rejoice in him. Rejoice in him. You're not done yet, and he's not done yet. He who began a good work will be faithful to complete it. And some of us, I can, I can just say confidently, you know, we've went through tough times in the past. And some are going through some of the hardest things in their, maybe the hardest thing they've ever been through in their life right now. And don't let the circumstances define your God. Let the promises reveal your God. And realizing that these circumstances will, will change, will come and go, they may get worse. 
But God is not, he's not limited, he's not defined by these circumstances. And so often that's what, can we agree, can we admit, there's sometimes these things are so heavy, it just, just gets us down. And I want to encourage you, just learn to rejoice in him. Learn to rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I will say, yeah, you already read it. So you see what I'm saying? We're learning to rejoice, not because of the circumstances, but in the circumstances. Worship team is going to come up. We're going to turn to Ephesians 4 to conclude this study. Should be done by one. <laughs> Nobody even paid attention. You guys, I'm glad. You're, it's, I, I, I take that as a total agreement and, and an approval. But unfortunately, the children's ministry teachers didn't hear it. And I love them, and I don't want them ever to leave. So, if you stand with me, and I'm going to draw your attention to Ephesians chapter 4. Uh, how do we do this new life? How do we do this? Well, I, I just think there's a point where we take a little focus off ourselves and, and realize that it's really more about him. You know, the things we've learned and we're learning. Verse 22 of Ephesians 4. That you put off concerning your former conduct... The old man, which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lusts, which are actually can be called delusional longings. Don't be drawn into these things that are just delusional. They don't produce. But recognize that's who it used to be. It's whatever. We, we put that aside and be renewed in the spirit of your mind and that you put on the new man, which was recreated according to God in true righteousness and holiness, Put on, speaks of, to invest into, to array yourself with this new life. Let's pray. God, thank you for your word. Thank you for your truth. And I just pray, God, as we would continue on this day with whatever time we have left individually and as we would gather together in community, that we would learn to walk in the Spirit so that we do not fulfill the desires and appetites of the flesh. That we would learn to revere you, rejoice in you, Keep our eyes fixed upon you, God. Thank you, Lord. Keep us close. Draw us near. And God, you know all of us. You know the state of our soul. And I would be out of place to not bring this truth to you. If if anyone here and you don't know what would happen if you died today, if you're not confident that you have this new life, you need to begin right now. And it's so beautiful and so simple, so important to admit you need God, to acknowledge that only He can forgive you of your sins and just agree, God, I need you for forgiveness of my sins. I need this new life. I ask you to forgive me and give me this new life, Jesus. You and you alone are the only one who can give me this life. And you freely offered it to me. So I ask for it, and then I ask you to show me how to do this, but I have no clue. I have no idea what to do, but I don't want to keep wilting away. I, I need this new life. Forgive me, God. Lead me in this new life. My hope, my confidence is in you, and may that be the statement for all of us, Lord. Our hope, our confidence is in you. Uh, we sing this song to you with joy and gladness. In your name, Jesus. Amen. Amen.